You guys can be seated. Joel, our pastor, is uh, out of town. He's preaching at his uh, sending church on the eastern shore, Greensboro Baptist Church. Today, uh, Ivan will be preaching. Ivan is in his second year at, uh, at Micah. He has a tremendous heart for people, especially through prayer. Is a wonderful example on uh, serving God and on how to serve God in your singleness. So uh, welcome him as he comes up by clapping. <laughs> uh, Sprouts can be dismissed at this time. Uh, kindergarten and younger. Go Miss Megan and All right, good morning. All right, I'm here to talk about the experiencing the Father heart of God this morning. And the passage we will be diving into today is uh, the parable of the prodigal son. Um, okay, before I, before I go into that, I'm, as you guys heard, I'm, I'm not a theologian, I'm an artist. So, so this is like kind of a different, uh, different message. Uh, still very scriptural, but I'll be sharing a lot from my own experiences of, of the Father heart of God. So um, this parable is the parable of the lost son, uh, which many of you know as the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, if you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, raise your hands and ushers will bring you. Uh, we have some sitting out in the table up front. Uh, so let me read from Luke ch chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. And this is from the NIV version. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of my estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the, son, the younger son got, got together all he had, set off into the, a distant country, and there squandered his wealth, uh, his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizen of that country, who sent him out to, feed, uh, to, the, to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach uh, with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When, verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, How many in my father's, of my father's hired men have food to spare? Yet here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he get, got up and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to him, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Uh, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I, have, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring a, the best robe and put, on, put it on him. Uh, put a ring on his, fingers, uh, on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He came, and he, he came near the house and he heard music and dancing. Uh, so he went out, uh, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Uh, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf and he has him back, uh, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother came and be, uh, became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you've never even given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes come home and you killed a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours who was dead is, is alive again and he, he was lost and is found. So although this parable is called the parable of the lost son, um, the focus is not on the son. But a second reading will show you that the focus is actually um, on the father and his responses. In this parable, many characteristics of God's father heart is actually revealed. So I have a short quiz for you before we uh, go into, like, you know, jump into the message. What is the gist of the gospel? 
Is it, listen to this, okay? Uh, is it that all humanity has sinned, had sinned against God? Christ died in your place to give you a covering of righteousness that you yourself cannot produce, so that on the day of judgment, you'll be considered righteous and thus be saved. Did I miss anything? <laughs> All right, but listen to these verses. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the unrighteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. 2 Corinthians 5.18-19 All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ, uh, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Um, John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we are not merely saved. And then at the end of the story, right? We, we are saved to become sons and daughters. We are reconciled to the Father just like the son in the parable. Uh, as sons and daughters, we are then given this ministry of reconciliation, leading other people to reconciliation with him. You know, I believe this reconciliation with the Father is a crucial part of the gospel that we always miss out. You know, we were made by the Father to have communion and relationship with him, and the price that the Lord Jesus paid was to restore this and bring us back to the Father, not merely just to save us from judgment. So he is not... God, the Father who is seated on the throne somewhere far up in heaven and wagging his fingers at sinner, uh, sinners. As demonstrated in the parable, he's tender, he's compassionate, he's generous and gracious and so much more. Do you know the side of the Father? If we don't know the Father's heart, we live lopsided, semi-fulfilled Christian lives that are kind of powerless. Any Christian service or evangelism comes from deep, intimate knowledge of the Father and our identities as sons and daughters. Because of what Christ did, um, no, because this is what Christ did, he stepped into servanthood from the position of knowledge that he is the beloved son. Well, we, always don't, we, we don't really think about that. So let us pray this morning that God will reveal his fatherly character to us. Father God, we praise and thank you because you've called us by name to be your sons and daughters. Father, we, uh, we come before you today and say that we don't really know what that means. Uh, Father, we ask that you show us what it means to be a son, to, uh, a son or a daughter. And Lord, we ask that you reveal your father characteristics to us this morning. Amen. All right, before we dive into the character of the father, I need to give you the pretext of like, what's happening. So if you look at verses um, 12 and 13, the younger son said to his father, Father, give me, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the son got together all he had and set off into a distant country where he squandered his wealth in, uh, where he squandered his wealth in wild living. So these two verses tell us what the son, that the son requested for the share of the estate and lease for a faraway land where he spends all the money. Um, it's stated very factually in these two verses and we tend to gloss over uh, the significance of what he did because of how, how short and concise it is. But when Jesus told this parable, like his son's act, the, the son's actions would have been scandalous and offensive to the listeners because they understood the context. Um, in Middle Eastern tradition, um, a son's share of the estate or his inheritance, like much of like, like today, is only something to be received upon the father's death. And requesting for your share of the father's estate uh, before he dies, is as good as treating him as dead. So, also in his desire to leave the home, showed that he rejected all, all that his father and what the home stood for. I mean, I could understand if his, I mean, his actions a little bit more, if his father was kind of like, you know, an abusive, cold, uh, an evil person, but this passage seems to um, suggest otherwise. His father seemed to be a benevolent man, uh, so kind that even the hired servants have food to spare. Uh, in short, you know, by the son's actions, he was saying, you know, Father, I can't wait for you to die. Uh, I want to get on with my life because you are in my way. Um, so the son is actually more than just like a rebellious brat. He's actually, his heart's actually really dark and sinful. Um, and I think many times we're kind of like that. <laughs> um, 
Even so, his father did not treat him like his sins deserved, and uh, when he returned, uh, his father welcomed him generously. From this passage, we can draw three main characteristics of God the Father who parallels the Father in the parable. Firstly, his attentiveness. Verse 20, he rose and came to his father while he was still a long way off. His father saw him and felt compassion, ran and embraced and kissed him. You know, his, his father seemed to be searching in the distance for his son, almost expecting his return. I can almost imagine this, this father sitting out in the front porch at a specific time every day, you know, gazing out into the distance, searching and hoping to see the silhouette of his son walking through the fields. Uh, how many of you are parents here? Parents? Um, sometimes can't you just predict what your child's going to do next? For example, like, oh, all right, Johnny's making that face. Get the towels ready because he's going to throw up his milk. <laughs> right? Um, so it was almost like the father was waiting for his son to return one day. Uh, having raised this son, he entirely knew his, his temperament and he knew that he would one day return. Um, Parents, sometimes don't you even recognize the scent, the smell of your kid? Uh, I, I remember my parents knew my scent. Uh, I, they call it the Ivan smell. <laughs> I remember being a really sweaty kid. And I guess when you sweat, you know, regardless of how old you are, you smell. Um, you know, as a, as a kid, they adored the smell. But when puberty kicked in, it's another story. <laughs> Uh, my roommate Derek uh, got a whiff of it at the airport the other day, and I hope no one else will get the privilege to smell that. <laughs> but God the Father knows my smell, and He knows more than just my smell. He knows the numbers, the number of hairs on my head. He knows uh, my fingerprints. He knows which joints of mine ache. He knows which joints of yours ache. <laughs> he knows your favorite ice cream. He knows what stresses you out. He knows what he knows what. What, what, what makes you laugh, and he knows what moves your heart. Um, he said through David in the Psalms, Psalm 193, uh, 139, uh, verse 13, You formed me in my in inward parts, and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Uh, he formed you, and he grew and gathered all the cells that made you. Uh, he knows when you're going to fall sick, and he sends people to take care of you. Um, some of you know I just came back from Colombia, South America on, on Thursday, uh, and I got a really bad case of food poisoning from a fancy seafood restaurant there. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was telling my, uh, my host, which is my friend's dad, I saw some roadside stores, and I was like, oh, I want that ratchet food. <laughs> because the, the ratchet food is always the best, right? Uh, but he was like, nope, not going to let you have that. Your stomach won't be able to deal with that. But, um, so I, but you know, I got food poisoning anyway from, from a fancy restaurant. Uh, all right, so when uh, I was literally a hot mess, burning hot, running a high fever, uh, splitting headache, um, chills, nausea, bloatedness. It was so bad that when I stood still and closed my eyes, I would lose, lose my footing and want to fall over. And I, also, I had a domestic flight to fly on uh, that day. So my hosts, uh, Ricardo and Lusmila, they were amazing and tried to keep me comfortable throughout the flight, uh, going to the pharmacy right after we land to get me other pills. The next day, they were, um, they were making... Uh, me like bicarbonate drinks, um, chicken broth, tea, coming to check on me every two minutes, wet towels on the forehead. Their parents stepped in also. So like Ricardo and Lusmila, they're like my, my friend's parents. And then my friend's grandparents stepped in also and did <laughs> all that. Right? They, and then they would wait for me at the ER for six hours. And uh, long story short, uh, I was nursed back to health over the span of five days by, by two people who hardly knew me and barely spoke any of my language. So, like, it was all, like, English, broken English, broken Spanish, and, like, a lot of signing. Uh, and they, <laughs> they treated me like their kid, and this is a Christian couple, and God knew I was going to fall sick, so he sent two of his older kids to take care of me. Well, more than two, actually. Um, and he was like, it was like he put skin on through this couple to care for me. And this was not the first time I've been shown kindness by virtual strangers uh, from different cultures and even 
uh, through language barriers. Um, and you can probably tell by now my strange accent, I'm not from the US, um, and I did not grow up here also. Uh, I moved to Baltimore about from Singapore two, two years ago, and Singapore is on the other side of the world. So it's literally, what time is it now? What time is it now? Yeah, 11.30, it's like 11.30 p.m. in Singapore now, so it's on the other side of the world. So uh, I, I came here alone, I came to Baltimore alone to go to school at MICA, and I came with two suitcases and money. I had no relatives in the U.S. In fact, I'm the first person in my family to set foot, of, uh, to set foot on North American soil. Uh, but you know what? My Father in Heaven has been so attentive of all my needs, and he's so keenly aware of all of them. He went ahead and prepared a place for me, and now I feel like, a f I, feel like I, have, I have a family here. <laughs> um, when I first came, I felt quite lonely, and he sent guys in the church to reach out to me. Uh, I, when I felt like an outsider looking in, he sent someone to take me home for Thanksgiving. Uh, when I felt inadequate as an artist, he sent a Christian professor to come encourage me and affirm my identity as an artist. Um, when I felt like I, I was the only person uh, laboring for him on a God-hating campus, he raised up a powerful Christian fellowship out of literal, uh, literally dust uh, to come work alongside me. So he's the father who feeds the sparrows. Uh, none of them falls without his knowledge. This morning I was walking to... Uh, the church office to print out my sermon notes, and then, and then I saw a dead bird on the ground. Immediately, I was reminded of that, that, par that, that, that thing Jesus said, none of them falls to the ground without me knowing, without the Father knowing. And he's the God who, who clothes the lilies in the field with splendor, and Jesus said we are worth more than many, many sparrows, and he's the Father who takes good care of you. Think back on how he has provided for you. Uh, he's the Father who so keenly aware of and attentive to your needs. All right, next point. Am I, like, right? right? You guys are getting me? Yeah. <laughs> All right, next point, his faithfulness. Our Father who has called us to himself will never leave us, nor he will ever forsake us. He will not dis disown us in spite of all the sins we had committed and all the times we will stumble in the future. Um, you know, I think everyone has heard before uh, this verse, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. This, this verse is uh, very close to my heart because I, before I came to know the Lord, I was like, steeped in a lot of, um, I, was, I had very bad sexual addiction problems and uh, in my, you know, even after becoming a Christian, I continued struggling with, struggling with that. I didn't even know when I said yes to the gospel. I didn't even know I had to, like, turn away from all those things. Um, and after one time of acting out, I, I had missed my, you know, I was doing this devotional book called Every Day with Jesus. And then there was this, like, from, from January 1st to 31st December, there's this, like, short passage and a verse uh, that you're supposed to kind of read every day. And it's, it's numbered by dates. Um, so... Uh, I, I, I missed the night before, and then uh, afterward, uh, then, then it's unconnected, but I, I acted out, uh, and then uh, I, I left the house, and then I was thinking, hmm, you know, I did something really bad. Maybe God doesn't want me anymore. So, uh, and then I came, I went out with my friends, I came back. Um, I, I referred to my devotional, uh, but because I missed yesterday, so I had to make up for yesterday. And... Uh, the verse at the start of the passage was, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Because, and the, the thing is, I, I just asked the Lord, you know, maybe he doesn't want me anymore. I just said it in my mind. And then he, he replied and he said, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. So for me, as a young Christian then, it was very, a very powerful experience for me because I've never had God speak to me uh, so directly before. So this, this, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you, is very close to my heart. Um, okay, going back to the verse, uh, the passage uh, he arose and came to his father, and when he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. When the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and had compassion on him. He ran and hugged him and kissed him fervently. Uh, the son was probably really dirty, really sweaty and smelly, um, and his clothes were probably torn and tattered, and his feet were bare. In spite of all of this, his father embraced him kissed him and poured out his affection for him. 
And another thing that I, I kind of read in my research was, uh, it, the Bible has this verse, I, I don't know where it is, but during my research I saw it. Uh, saw it. I think it's in, it's in Proverbs or something. It's like something like, you can tell how, what a man is when, by the way he walks. You can tell a lot about men by the way he walks. So, and in Middle Eastern culture, uh, when you are a dignified, esteemed, um, middle-aged man, who also, in this case, very rich, you don't run, you walk with dignity. Um, because when you run, your ankles and knees are exposed and it's considered nakedness to them. So you don't show those parts of yourself. So you walk, you always walk. But this father runs to his son and uh, for the sake of his son, he undignifies himself. Yeah, so that's our father in heaven. All right, so this, his son was willing to ma- be made a servant in the father's house uh, when he came back. Uh, and he said, he said in verse 21, Father, I've sinned against you, a heaven, and against you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before that, he said, I'll make myself a servant in my father's house. But you know what the father said in response? He basically disregarded that. And he said uh, to his servants, bring him the best robe, the ring, and the sandals for his feet. Uh, he gave gifts uh, that he, he gave his son gifts that he did not deserve. And this only shows that, you know, we can never really lose our sonship. Yeah, once you're a son, you're a son. Once you're a daughter, you're a daughter. Your father, when you tell your father, make me a servant, he's like, nope, I'm <laughs> not going to do that. <laughs> um, I came to the Lord six years ago. Like I said earlier, I was steeped in, uh, I, I, I didn't say this earlier, uh, I, I was steeped in bitterness and I had endured many years of bullying and even molest. And also, I had sexual addiction and other sinful habits. Um, like the son who came home, I was dirty and defiled. I have, you know, addictive patterns. Uh, but you know what? The Lord did not say to me, clean yourself up before you come to me. Don't you know that I'm the sovereign, thrice holy God who judges the unrighteous? He didn't say that to me. <laughs> you know what he said to me? I'm so glad you're here. I know you're dirty. Don't worry. I'll clean you up. I'll wash you. Right? He, he gave me new clothes, new identity, and he brought me out of slavery of my addiction. I went to Hyderabad, India last year, um, last summer, um, to visit this HIV organization that started locally by Indians. In fact, next, next week, if you come to the Southern, the Southern Baptist uh, conference thing, uh, my friend, who's the director, in, uh, he's Indian, and uh, he's the director of this organization, he is in the U.S. visiting family, and I'm like, come, come, come visit me in Baltimore. So he'll be here at the conference with us, so some of you will get to meet him. Um, Amazing ministry. Uh, so during the trip, we went to this Christian HIV hospital uh, to run a small worship service for the patients. Uh, during that time, you know, this, uh, this girl who, who called Monica, she was really sassy and kind of funny. Uh, she's like six to seven years old. Uh, she was running around the hospital giving everyone orders on where to go. Uh, and some of, the, some of the workers were playfully teasing her, calling her the head nurse. But I noticed that she had strange bald spots on her head uh, that looked like scars. And I later would learn that uh, from the workers that she was brought in two to three months ago with severe open sores and wounds all over her head. Because this hospital was in a secluded uh, suburb of Hyderabad, and it was very difficult to get there without a vehicle. And most of the people that they serve are impoverished, like the poorest of the poor. Um, so it was really hard to get a vehicle there, and his, her mother found help really hard to get because uh, on top of having those sores with uh, pus and maggots coming out, she was also HIV positive. No one wanted to touch her. Um, so when she was brought to the hospital, she was on the verge of death because the infection had eaten through her skull and nearly reached her brain. Uh, and the small staff in the hospital just fought to save her life and washed her wounds and nursed her back to health. Although she was healthy, uh, and uh, she was healthy by the time I, I visited the, ch- the, the, the hospital, uh, and she was bringing a lot of joy to the other patients by just being herself. So isn't this such an amazing picture of God and, uh, and his salvation? That we come to him as infected, dying, uh, fatherless children, and he heals us and washes out our infections and gives us a new home in the family of faith. Right? Um, in, in John 1.19, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, yeah, um, 
no matter how dirty you are, and, and before, I, before I go into that, uh, your sin is, has the ability to infect us, and then the infection spreads. So that's why every time we see multiple times in the Bible, uh, unrighteousness has to be cleansed, iniquity has to be cleansed. So there's this picture of infection, of falling sick to a disease. You know, God says, don't sin, not because he's a spoiled spot, he doesn't want you to have a good time. He says, don't sin because sin infects you and makes you sick. So no matter how dirty you are or sin infested you are, no matter how much you've wronged and sinned against the father like the son did, he's still your father. And uh, you have never ceased to be his child. He's faithful and he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will not disown you. His affection, he has, his affection for you never ceases. Uh, and he receives you and he says, don't worry, let me wash you, come. Next point is generosity. You guys still with me? Right? Yeah. Right. All right. Amen, amen. <laughs> um, verse 22. Uh, but his father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. Upon the son's return, there was no, I told you so. You know, like, you think it's go, so good out there? Look what happened, right? There's none of that. The father held no sin against the son and said, showered him with gifts and killed a fattened calf and threw him a party. Um, the three gifts that the father gave his son had, um, have different cultural significances. Uh, the best role is a reference to Joseph's coat Quote of many colors, Genesis 37.3, uh, a sign of special favor. And also, uh, it references the robe of righteousness uh, that Isaiah 61 talks about that the coming Christ will give. Uh, shoes for his feet. In Middle Eastern culture, slaves did not have uh, footwear. They were barefooted. So giving uh, a barefooted person uh, shoes is symbolic of the person not being a slave anymore. Ring on his finger. Uh, the ring is restoring his uh, place as a son because it, it's likely to be uh, a signet ring uh, with the family crest or some engravement that, that associates um, you with the family and then you can transact in the family business uh, with that. So only a son can do that. So, and also, killing the fattened calf and throwing a party. In Middle Eastern culture, there's this um, one special livestock that they would feed special things. Um, so it got fat uh, for the slaughter on, uh, for a special occasion. So God is a generous father. Uh, he's grandiose. He's lavish. And um, my, 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 my roommate was telling me this uh, on the plane that, you know, when, when we... What, what's your understanding of the word prodigal? Prodigal, like, we, because of the parable, we feel like, oh, it's like the bad son who's coming home. Right, but the dictionary actually defines prodigal as uh, lavish, grandiose, reckless. Uh, yeah, that's a picture of what the son did in the far country. But more than that, it's like the reckless love, the grandiose love, uh, and the lavish love of the father that covers that multitude of sin. Right? So God is prodigal. He's a prodigal God. Um, okay, look at... Creation described in Psalm 104, uh, there are countless types of fish found in the ocean. There are countless species of plants and animals uh, in the Amazon rainforest, and six billion and counting people, and no one looks exactly the same. Uh, think about the, I, I, I have this like affinity with the Rocky Mountains because I grew up in a very, very dense city. It's like, it's denser, well, I won't say it's, no, it's, it's, I think the densest city on earth is Hong Kong, uh, no, uh, uh, New York, and then afterwards, uh, Hong Kong or something, and then it's Singapore. It's like very, very dense. People are everywhere. So I've never, I've never grow, gr grown up around like vast expanses of open space, mountains, none of that. It was just like uh, all like high rises, at least 20 stories, um, so anyway, I went out to the Rocky Mountains myself to Colorado um, two winters ago 
to spend time with God. Couldn't drive, so I cycled around. Uh, I have this very strong affinity with that place. So uh, I remember going up to Pikes Peak. Uh, and then Pikes Peak, you guys should know Pikes Peak, right? Uh, it's like where your, one of your songs, America the Beautiful, was written. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but yeah. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, when I was on Pikes Peak, I, I saw in the distance like this whole strip of mountains, uh, the Rocky Mountains. Uh, most of the peaks have not been like, climbed by people. Uh, there were a few like, you know, important ones that people would go climb, but most of them are just left untouched. Um, and I was thinking of, like, you know, the, wal- the wildflowers that would grow there, uh, the m- multitudes of them, and uh, they were never to be beheld by any human eye, you know, but the Lord makes them anyway. Uh, his resources, uh, his wealth of resources are limitless, and he's not miserly. There's always abundance in the Father's house, and he ensures that all his children has sufficient. Uh, all right, talking about this abundance in the Father's house, uh, this actually empowers his children to live for his purpose, uh, his purposes in uh, laboring in the ministry of reconciliation that 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 19 talks about. Uh, all right, I'm going to give some examples uh, of that because it's, it's hard to just talk about them. You see them more clearly through the lives of people lived. Um, one of the, the, the workers in the Christian HIV organization that I visited in India, Christopher, uh, he lives with his wife and three teenage children in a tiny house measuring 20 feet by 20 feet. Imagine, like, how, how some of you have teenagers, right? Uh, imagine living in a house that's 20 feet by 20 feet with three teenagers uh, and, and your wife. It's, it's very cramped. Uh, and... And then, like, puberty kicks in, so, like... <laughs> um, uh, I visited his house, uh, and I was served this meal. Uh, it, was pretty, it was a pretty nice meal, you know? They had chicken, chicken curry, pork curry. I would never forget the taste of that pork curry. <laughs> uh, it's so good. Uh, I, yeah. In fact, my, my friend who's coming next week, he's like, oh, can I bring you anything from India apart from uh, uh, Suwarta's pork curry? I'm like, yeah, actually, that's the only thing I want. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, they served me this pretty nice meal, and I was like, oh, you know, although they live in a small house, they actually have, like, they eat pretty nice things. And then afterwards, I would discover that they borrowed money to cook for me. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, um, and that's the part of the understanding of the Father's house also, that hospitality comes first. The Father will have enough for us. Um, and he, Christopher, left his job uh, as a counselor in an HIV clinic uh, that paid him 4,000 rupees a month, uh, which is about $80 USD, uh, to join this organization, uh, to join this like, new organization in obedience to God. Uh, knowing that this new organization had no means to pay him. Uh, but he used to be a church planter in the Indian jungle with Youth of a Mission, YWAM. Uh, so living by faith and completely trusting the Lord for a provision for his family is not something new to him or his family. Uh, so some, somehow, some way, all, uh, all his children are being fed, they are put through school, and someone even volunteered to put his elder's daughter, Kavita, uh, through university to study pharmacy. Um, because of a donation from a church recently, the family was able to move um, to a slightly bigger house. So thank God uh, for that. Uh, I also met another uh, missionary in Colombia recently, Chris, uh, Christian. Uh, he, he, his name is uh, without the H. Uh, he, he's merely 18. Uh, he used to be a street kid. Uh, you know, he was telling me he ate horse meat one time because like, he was just like hungry. Um, from the dumpster, horse meat from the dumpster. Uh, and, okay, where am I? Yeah, and he used to be a drug dealer, a drug addict. Uh, he is also now a staff member at Youth with a Mission, living by faith, and somehow through random gifts from other Christians and the people around him, his ministry expenses, food, everything, lodging costs are all paid for. 
Um, and he's, he's currently in, uh, with a team in Brazil uh, preparing to perform short, uh, short plays with the gospel messages to people uh, who come to Brazil for the World Cup. I have another friend in Singapore, her name's Grace. She's about 35, and she recently quit her stable job to go to South Korea uh, to go share the gospel with North Koreans, uh, refugees in Seoul. Uh, also, miraculously, she raised enough money uh, to go, and God miraculously provided places for her to stay and Koreans to be connected with. So imagine your father's a king, and you're a prince or a princess. Uh, and you live in a palace when, where, where everything is provided for, will you be spending half your time uh, thinking about how you can get more money or when your next meal will come? No. Uh, you know that the Father has more than enough to meet all your needs, and your mind is then freed up to dwell upon the things of the kingdom. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, these people, my, the, the, the examples I... I listed up just now, they're hardly worried about money, although they lack it, uh, because, because they trust in the provision of the Father. And this, this frees up their minds um, to be focused on the, the Father's business, which is the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, because all of them, if you boil all their, works, uh, their work down, they are in the ministry of reconciliation, bringing other people to the knowledge that God is not counting your sins against you and asking you to come back home as his kid. So knowing the abundance of the Father's house empowers another kind of people, uh, the people who, who are gifted with the gift of just giving generously. Uh, these people uh, whom the Lord has trusted with large sums of money are called to give it away sacrificially according to his purposes. You know, the knowledge of the abundance in the Father's house dispels any lingering human fears of, what if I don't have enough, right? You know, when we, 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 we feel like God asks, is asking us to give a large amount of money to, to someone or a ministry, uh, sometimes even in our tithes, we feel like, oh, what if I don't have enough? What if I can't pay my rent if I give by faith now? Um, but knowing the Father's uh, abundance, the abundance in his house dispels that fear, and you know that you'll have enough, don't worry. Um, so when these people give, this is the mindset. And they also acknowledge James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He has provided for you then, he's going to provide for you now. So, uh, and they, they, these people also know that they, who can be trusted with little can be trusted with more, and will be given more, and there was, there's always sufficient in the Father's house. I know a college student who gives away $10,000 a year, uh, to missionaries and acts of benevolence because of the excess scholarship money, totaling to 40000 by the time he graduates from college. Uh, 40000 can, like, I think, like, it's half the price of Joel's house or something. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he, no, this, this person could have saved, uh, m saved up his money for his future house, uh, for grad school, for rainy days, but it is this like quiet, immovable trust uh, in the sufficiency and the abundance of the Father's house that enables him to do this. Some people believe uh, that the abundance in the Father's house means luxurious living on earth, uh, and this is the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is actually a false gospel um, that are believed by Christians who think that the crumbs under the table are actually the banquet. You get me? Like, they think that the crumbs under the table is the banquet. Uh, they don't truly understand the, f the abundance in the Father's house. And some people may say that, oh, they do understand uh, the abundance in the Father's house. That's why they, they seek to live in prosperity, because your father is rich, yeah, and you're supposed to have nice things. Um, but the true test of this knowledge of the abundance of the Father's house is to be the ability to give away your material possessions. Uh, people who are able to give away sacrificially know that material possessions are like money, are just un, uh, the crumbs under the table. Uh, and on the table, on the real table, there's this lavish banquet that has been spread out. So clinging on to the crumbs comes from this myopic understanding of the Christian life. I mean, it would be nice to live uh, on a beautiful house on a hill with 
a jacuzzi and a rooftop garden and my personal gym. Uh, and, and it will also, uh, a personal gym that smells nice. <laughs> um, that it would also be nice to drive a fancy, you know, comfortable car. But if this is the pinnacle of what God can give me, and this is the best that Christian life can offer me, I'll be so bored, right? Um, but what, is the tr- what the true Christian life has offered me so far has, you know, put all these things to shame. And what it has, what it has offered me so far makes my heart leap every time. Every time I get a glimpse of the chipping away of the hardened shell of my atheist professor, my heart leaps, right? When I have a gay friend uh, who has been so hurt by the church willing to hear me share about the father, my heart leaps, right? When I have a when I see a foreign Chinese student interested in the gospel which he has never heard before, my heart leaps. When he comes to Christ, my heart leaps. Uh, when I read about the persecuted in China and how they love each other and how the Father is using them to perform miraculous healings and deliverance from demons uh, to confirm the gospel that they are proclaiming and leading multitudes to himself, my heart leaps. I, I heard... Of uh, this, uh, talking about this multitudes that, that's being saved in China. I, I heard this analogy, not really analogy once, but it's a really uh, interesting kind of uh, fun fact uh, is that I, um, there are, at the rate of Christians being saved in China now, by 2030, there'll be more Christians on earth than people. You, you get that? It's, they're being saved at such a huge rate that the, if, you know, like, hypothetically, if this rate continues, uh, there'll be more Christians on earth than people. Um, so coming back to, to, to uh, this, when I visited India and I saw how, how uh, the believers there were downtrodden, uh, were, you know, were serving the downtrodden and being the, the hands and feet of Jesus and displaying his great love for them, my heart leaps. I want to be a missionary in the future, and um, the day I discover what, what country the Lord calls me to, uh, my heart will definitely leap, and it will even do backflips, right? Uh, isn't life like that so exciting? You know, knowing that you have a part of, you have a huge purpose to play in this ministry of reconciliation. God has a specific purpose for you to reach some specific people. Isn't that amazing? Like, and then you get to experience and see how His hand's moving uh, through the rest of the world, uh, even in your family. Uh, my family got saved. I, I, was the first, I was the first Christian in my whole extended family. And uh, yeah, the Lord's so good, you know. He, he saved my family. I, I tried for four years in my own strength. And then when I came to the U.S., I'm like, you know, God, I'm going to pursue what you want for me. <laughs> Please take care of them. <laughs> I'm tired, you know. And then by themselves, my parents came to the Lord. You know, the Lord drew them to him, him uh, themselves. Uh, so, uh, all, right. all right, I'm a little lost. <laughs> um, all right, you know, isn't life like that so exciting? Doesn't a BMW or a house on a hill pale in comparison to this? Uh, this generous God has prepared a lavish banquet uh, of an exciting and fulfilled life. More and more, I'm experiencing that the treasures on earth are but crumbs under the table. Uh, or at best, they are like the wheat crackers on the side of the table, you know, that no one touches. You know, if the soup's bad, grab that. <laughs> um, it's nowhere near the main course, the BMW, the huge house, uh, money, you know. It's nowhere near the main course, right? Uh, and, and the main course is an exciting life of hearing from him, learning the purposes that you were created for and watching him in action. Um, however, to partake of this lavish banquet, you must be a son and clothed in righteousness. Because at the same time, we know the father, but we also know uh, that he's also the judge. But the generous father has made a way uh, for this too, through our older brother, Jesus Christ. Uh, praise God that we do not have an older brother like the one in the story. <laughs> First Peter 3.18, I read it earlier in the sermon. Um, uh, for Christ also suffered once for sins, unrighteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Second Corinthians 5.21, uh, for our sake he, was, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
uh, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ uh, is our older brother, and instead of staying home and sulking when we came back, the father, he said yes to the father when the father sent him out to the far country looking for us. He obeyed, and he, he left the comfort of heaven. Uh, think about this, okay? Um, when we go on mission trips, uh, how many of you have gone on mission trips before? Yeah. When we go on mission trips, like the first thing we think about is, how's the, how's the, how's the bathroom like? How's the restroom like? Is it gross? <laughs> um, uh, people back home in Singapore, we're like, churches and youth there are kind of afraid of going to China because they've heard of all the like, nasty bathrooms and stuff. So um, anyway, Jesus, he left the comfort in heaven. I, I bet they have nice bathrooms bathrooms in heaven, uh, he, where he, and all, apart from the bathrooms, he left behind uh, a place where he is eternally worshipped to come to the dirtiest neighborhood in the universe, sin-infested planet Earth, to bring us home. Yeah, and he, it, it cost him his life to bring us home. And in his death, our older brother, the Lord Jesus, took off his robes uh, of righteousness, and he gave it to us through his blood. Have you ever wondered why uh, we're so comfortable in calling God Lord, Sovereign King, Father, <laughs> etc., but we get a bit like, squeamish and uncomfortable when we hear people call him Daddy, Papito, Papi, Papa in their prayers? We feel uncomfortable calling God those things because of two reasons. The first is that we don't know our identities as sons and daughters uh, instead, we're, we act like servants in the Father's house. Uh, calling someone you primarily view as father, uh, primarily view as master, father, daddy, papito, papi, papa, <laughs> that's not something you can do comfortably. Uh, but your father invites you to start living as his children today. Uh, the second reason is that those words dad, papa, daddy, are laced with unpleasant encounters. Uh, we don't want God to be like our dads. Our experiences with our earthly fathers influence our perceptions of our heavenly father. Good experiences lead us closer to understanding the full extent of his love, uh, his grace, but bad experiences distort our view of him. Because of bad experiences we can, uh, with our earthly fathers, we cannot believe uh, or even refuse to believe or understand uh, the extent of his affection, faithfulness, attentiveness, and generosity towards us. Uh, this morning, I share this message with hum humility because I am still in the beginning stages of understanding God's father heart for me. Uh, I did not know how, to, how a father was supposed to relate uh, to me because I grew up not having a relationship with my father. Uh, he was physically present in the house, uh, but absent. Uh, I hardly have memories of him from eight years old to 18. But the thing is, he was in the house. How could that have happened? Um, I, I know many of you have stories of absent or even abusive fathers who make my, my story sound like a walk in the park. Um, but today, the Lord invites you to release your earthly father. Forgive him. Uh, do not hold what he did against him. Because as long as you do, you cannot receive from the Heavenly Father. So I heard this analogy once that uh, because of all the sins uh, of, uh, in this case, your father, but it applies to other people as well, uh, all the sins that you're holding against someone is like a fistful of IOUs. Do you guys call that IOUs? Like, you know, receipts that show you that this or that person owes you money. So you have this whole fistful of IOUs and you're shaking it at the person's face. But as long as you're grabbing onto all those IOUs, your, your, fists, your hands are in a fist. God cannot put anything in. Yeah, you must open and say, God, God is offering today that, hey, I'll pay. I'm paying for all those IOUs. Will you receive it? Some people will say, no, it's a matter of principle. He owes me, he has to pay me. But God's saying, offering you another way. I'm paying for it. Are you uh, willing to release it? Because if you don't release it, you cannot receive from me. So, Yeah, you were never made to live with like all your IOUs like that. You were made to with, live with your hands open, ready to receive from God the Father. Um, and the Lord knows that you've been through stuff. 
he, he was there when you were abused. He was there when you cried. And the Psalms say that uh, he stores out tears in, in, in jars, right, in bottles. Um, and the Father wants to heal you of those wounds and father you himself. And some of you here have, like, amazing relationships with your earthly fathers, yet you have trouble believing in the faithfulness, attentiveness, and generosity of the Father. Thank, you, thank the Lord for your fathers, uh, but yet in a spirit of openness, ask the ultimate Father to reveal any distorted perceptions you have of Him. And some of you here today don't know the Father, and He invites you now to come just as you are to Him, uh, like, like I did. Uh, and your older brother, Jesus, is here to bring you home. And no matter how dirty and defiled you feel, come to the Father. He'll say to you, just as he said to me, I'm so glad you're here. Don't worry, I'll wash you. All right, let us pray. Father, we, we bless you this morning because you're so good to us. Uh, thank you that we can call you Daddy. Thank you that we can call you Papa. Uh, and you invite us to be intimate with you. You said uh, the Holy Spirit that you put in us um, helps us call out to you, Abba, Father, which is the most intimate way that uh, Middle, Eastern call, uh, Middle Eastern people call their Father. So Lord, we come before you today and we ask that you teach us more about your Father heart, that when we pray to you in the future, it will not be, oh, Lord, sovereign Lord, uh, God, but it will be, Daddy. Uh, Lord, thank you for, see, I can't even call you <laughs> Daddy yet. Um, and we ask that uh, you teach us more about yourself, uh, your Father's heart. Uh, and for those of us who are living as servants in your house, help us know that we are sons and daughters. Uh, Father, your, we want your heartbeat to be our heartbeat, uh, that we will be focused on your business and not at things of the world. Uh, thank you for your abundance and the abundance you've given to us and you, the abundance that you'll give to us in the future. Thank you for meeting all our needs. Thank you that you are the God who feeds the sparrows. You're the Father who does not let any sparrow fall to the ground without your knowledge. And we are worth more than, more than just mere sparrows to you. Uh, so daddy we thank you uh, for the way that you've called us by your name and that you sent our older brother Jesus uh, to bring us home Lord Jesus our older brother uh, in Singapore we call that Koko uh, Lord Koko thank you uh, for bringing us home in your obedience um, yeah, that you left the sanctified walls of heaven in the nice bathrooms uh, to come to the dirtiest neighborhood uh, in the universe to bring us home. Thank you. So Father, we, we ask that as we worship you, uh, that this message will, will take root in our hearts, that what we heard about your Father character today will start to grow, and that we will hunger and thirst to know what it means to be sons and daughters. Amen. <laughs>